Welcome to Is This Working? A podcast hosted by two best friends who have honest conversations about money, careers, and success. With me, Anna Codriarado. And me, Tiffany Philippou. This week, we're asking the question, is coaching bullshit? So let's lay our cards out because I'm really excited about this episode. But before we get into it, I think we should explain what our experiences of coaching are and what we're bringing to this conversation because you, Tiffany, are actually a coach. Yes, that's true. And I would say you bring excitement to this episode. I bring a bit of nervousness because. I don't want to feel defensive, but when we were planning this episode, I couldn't help but feel a little bit, um, not necessarily attacked, but when you, I've, so I've started coaching training um, July last year, and I've been working with clients since then because I had a few trainee clients. So for a year now, I've been coaching people and I've gone through the whole training program with uh, the CTI, that's the Coactive Training Institute. I've also spent 6,000 pounds on the training Uh, And I also have a coaching supervisor and I've been coached a lot through the process. So it's going to be a challenge for me and one which I welcome with open arms to not see this conversation as an attack on the decision I've made and the work that I've done. Because, of course, I really believe in coaching because of the time and the investment I've made into it. But I'm really excited to bring a bit of nuance to this conversation and uh, keep an open mind. Yeah, for sure. I mean, also, I actually think that wasn't this episode your idea? Yes. So, so just to make it clear that um, my position is very much not coaching is bullshit. I'm going to get my friend Tiffany on the air and just attack her and all of her life choices. Um, that being said, um, my what I bring to the conversation is obviously, first and foremost, I'm a journalist. So I am, you know, I love asking questions and that's what this is really about for me. Um, however, um, I'm also just fascinated in this, in, I'm fascinated by the coaching world and also by the, the general portfolio career landscape as well, which I do think coaching is a part of. Um, and so I guess also just to lay my cards out, I've, I've never been coached myself. Um, Tiffany, however, has practiced on me. So as part of her training, I've been one of her guinea pigs. Um, but that's not the sort of, that's not the same kind of coaching that you would get from if I were to go on the open market. Um, I have, however, taught freelancers and this is something that we are going to get into because, um, what we're going to talk about today is specifically about coaching, but I think there is a sort of, um, offshoot to this conversation, which is about courses and teaching. Um, and, I myself have run courses and I have kind of taught freelancers, I suppose. Um, And then uh, whilst I've not been coached, I have had sessions with business growth experts and something that I have thought about for myself in when we were researching this um, and putting this episode together is why have I not been coached? And I think it's a really interesting question. Um, and I think if I'm honest with myself, I think it's because I've always viewed coaching as something that will help you with mindset, whether that's true or not. That's always been my view about coaching, that it's something that people do when they're struggling with almost the mental hurdles of taking on a new project. And this might sound incredibly arrogant, but I don't think that my problem is necessarily mindset. I think my problem is sometimes more technical. Um, so for example, I've brought on a business growth expert to help me with a really technical aspect of my business that I was finding hard, which was actually just a, which actually was a pricing issue. Um, and it had nothing to do with me worrying about the price that I was setting, but it was quite literally a maths problem of what is the price that I need to charge him. So anyway, there's loads we're going to talk about today. Um, but I think a really good place for us to start really is what even is coaching? Tiffany, question. the coach, yes, I guess, I guess tell it's me to answer that question. So what separates coaching from things such as mentoring or teaching is in those contexts, often someone's telling you what to do or how to do something. But coaching is all based on the belief that the answers lie within you. 
And the job of a coach is to help the client discover the answers for themselves. What's really interesting about coaching is no matter what context you're coaching in, whether it's nutrition, um, whether it's love life, whether it's an exec, you're actually bringing a lot of the same skills and beliefs and methods. And that's where I think coaching is quite interesting because the fundamental or the foundations of what coaching is are actually quite basic. And then everything that exists around it is arguably a lot of marketing, which we can get into. Um, But to stick with what coaching really is about, coaching is about valuing your learning and your growth. So if you're coaching a top CEO at a company, your job is to guide them and help them learn and grow themselves so they can have better impacts on the business and their team. Coaching also can give you a, it's about having a compelling vision of your work and it's a lot about purpose as well. So one of the core beliefs around coaching is around living your life through conscious choices and just having that awareness that I am choosing to do something because a lot of us live very passively actually and that's where a lot of misery comes from. But actually seeing life through a lens of conscious choice is one of the roots if not the route to fulfillment. And one of the things I love about coaching, and I think everybody could get value from, whether or not they're stuck, whether or not they have a specific problem, is being able to connect what they're doing to their values, to their purpose, who they really are. And the other great thing about coaching, which maybe people aren't actually that aware of, is it's really powerful for improving relationships. You... If you work with a coach, you learn a lot about yourself. And if you have greater self-awareness of how you respond in situations and how you act, you can therefore work with others differently. Um, Coaching talks a lot about the saboteur. So that might be negative self-talk. It might be like gremlins, whatever you might want to call them. If you're more aware of how your saboteur behaviors play out, you can then, often what happens is my saboteur might rub against your saboteur or make your saboteur come out stronger But if I have awareness of myself, even if you haven't been coached, how we interact will improve. And that's really powerful as well. Um, And there's also something about being coached and being in the situation where someone is actively, because you learn a lot of listening skills. There's three levels of listening. Um, One is it's about our job. So can I, I might throw quite a lot of quotes during this episode, but one of my favorite coaching quotes is the music happens between the notes. And what that means is our job is actually to listen to what's happening, what's not being said, listen on a totally different level um, to that kind of surface level listening or that listening where you're just thinking about what you're going to say next. Um, And sometimes the most powerful question you can ask as a coach as well, if you're not able to fully digest the listening on a sort of intuitive level is what's not being said. And... um, Anyway, so so actually just having the experience of having someone fully sit with you and listen and having that trust and accountability and connection can also be really, really powerful for a person. And it's very rare that you have that experience in our day-to-day lives. So with all those things together, put together that whole long list of things that coaching is all about, it can be extremely transformational to how you exist in the world. I mean, hearing you say that, now makes me want to go and get a coach. But I think that there's a lot to unpack in that because I think what's really interesting is how what you've described about the fact that there are central foundations to all coaching and it doesn't matter what kind of branch you go into. Because I remember something very early on when you started your coaching journey was I think I we had a conversation where I said to you, I think business coaching is fine and great. And I stand behind it and I would even want a business coach, but I think life coaching is bullshit. And you actually explained to me that it's all the same thing and that actually you get trained holistically. Um, You don't go to kind of business coach school, um, although I'm sure maybe those exist, but you actually get trained holistically. Um, And I do think it's really interesting because, um, you know, we don't have a problem with football coaches, um, but there are specifically, there is something that is rubbing people up the wrong way. Um, because, you know, the reason we are even having this conversation is that there've been a few articles over the last few weeks, um, which have 
criticized coaching um, and particularly within the context of the pandemic. Um, and we're going to get into that. Um, but I think it's just really interesting. And I think it's quite important to learn that actually there is a very sort of central way that coaches are trained and then it gets applied elsewhere. Um, or it's up, it's basically uh, what I'm understanding is that it's for the coach to decide where they specialize. Yeah. And there's executive training and leadership training, and there's more specific work-related training you can do having done the core fundamentals. And I'm sure there'll be people who don't agree with what I've said about the differences between, um, life coaching and business coaching. And as you said, I'm sure there are things out there that exist that focus on that lens. Um, I think that there, there is something where, yeah, I've said to people like you, but it's also, there's other people where they've, they've felt the need to clarify, like Tiffany's not a life coach. She's a business coach, but I've been trained in what is defined as life coaching, but the image of a life coach is like kind of bullshitty, maybe a bit exploitative because someone's more likely to pay for it themselves. Whereas a business coach, maybe the company's paying for it. Um, so there's a little bit of a, cynicism around life coaching and actually business coaches on average get paid double the amount that life coaches get paid. And it's interesting because I think there's also a case where people might feel more comfortable to hire a coach for solving their work problems, but actually um, say there are plenty, actually arguably to look at your life as a whole and to consider how your work fits into your life values or what you want or what that means for your relationship with your spouse or whatever that might be. Life coaching actually is, has just as much value as a place as simply just focusing on the lens of work. I think some of that, and I think this is what we really want to get into in this episode. I think some of that comes from the fact that something I've been reflecting on recently is just the way that we are taught to view our work and our lives from a young age. So we're not, when we are at school and when we start having the career conversations, um, at least this was my experience when I was at school, maybe things have changed. I, I doubt it, but um, the way work was presented, we were kind of handed a menu of job titles and the expectation was you pick one of these jobs and then you then realize that you have to fit your life around it. This kind of, as wanky as it sounds, but the concept of life designing um, and thinking about what you want your life to look like and how you want work and, and or a career to fit into that, that's not something, that's something that sounds incredibly out there and almost woo-woo um, and sort of potentially even sort of unrealistic, but that's just not how we're taught to think about work and life from a really young age. And I think potentially that feeds into what you're kind of saying here that um, people sort of balk at the idea of thinking that a life coach could help them holistically um, and they instead want to pinpoint and target the problem. Yes. And as you say, people do get annoyed about coaching and it does feel very different when you're in the middle of the coaching world versus when you're reading these articles in the media. Um, so why do you think it is that people are getting so hit up about coaching right now? So I've been thinking a lot about this because there have been a few articles that have come out um, in the last few weeks or the last few months. And sure, of course, now, because you're in the coaching world um, and we are so connected at the hip, um, perhaps I'm kind of more primed to see these things come up. Um, but there have been a few articles um, that have come out, um, one recently in The Guardian that was sort of looking at the rise in online coaching um, during the pandemic um, and the kind of what these are, what the article kind of looked at, and there've been a few other ones as well that have sort of come out similar kind of vein, which is that as a result of the pandemic, people have lost their work and particularly self-employed people who we do know were hardest, were, some, were amongst the hardest hit groups um, of the pandemic because they weren't able to access the same kind of financial um, support that uh, other workers were. Um, that, you know, there was sort of a uh, overnight loss in um, in work and in jobs and actually um, that kind of left the door open to 
vulnerable people being preyed on by unregulated coaches. Um, and there's kind of a lot in, in these pieces that I think is really interesting and is really kind of important to highlight because one thing that is true is that coaching is unregulated. Um, so all of the articles that are looking at coaches all kind of point to that. And something I will add, um, is that in my research, whilst there's definitely been sort of an uptick in critical articles about coaching at the moment. These kind of date back tens of years, you know, there, there, there's been criticism, pretty much the same criticism has been levied at coaches for, for kind of at least the last 10 to 15 years. Um, and a lot of it focuses on the fact that the industry is unregulated and that is true. Um, so anyone can call themselves a coach. So, um, what you've kind of explained that you've, 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 you're doing the training and you are working towards, you know, having these sort of having this kind of like formal coaching instruction. Um, you don't have to do that. I can stick coach in my Instagram bio and I am a coach. Um, and that is essentially what is happening or that's what these kind of, that's what the articles are saying. Um, the, so that's kind of like, that is one thing. Um, and actually there was a piece in the article, one of the articles that I read, um, it, where there was a quote from the president of the UK arm of the not, not for profit international coaching federation. Um, so this is an organization that kind of has, um, accredited coach that sort of lists accredited coaches. Um, and, the quote said that there are charlatans taking advantage of the current pandemic situation. Um, people, um, and so the, I'll read the quote out. People are considering their life purpose. They're at a point of what should I do next? Because they've been furloughed or had time to think about whether they enjoy what they do. However, that doesn't mean someone on Instagram promoting themselves can give them that. We make it categorically clear that we do not advise anyone to promote themselves as a coach after attending a program for two days, for example. An entry-level coach has to do about 100 hours of actual coaching practice plus 60 hours of training. Um, so what I take from that is that, you know, even the coaching federation is potentially a bit concerned about this. Um, so whilst there is a very legitimate issue around regulation, one thing I will say that to me when I was kind of looking at that article is that I wonder to what extent there is also something going on here where, um, and I say this as someone who is very much experiencing this at the moment myself. So I think what was very interesting that that article kind of pulled out is that people are in a sort of crisis mode at the moment, whether that is, um, actual because, you know, they've lost their work or for some people, there's also a kind of crisis of confidence going on, which is something that, you know, I've definitely gone through as a result of this last year where yes, my work was affected by the pandemic, but also my kind of very like identity and core was really shaken as well. And this kind of idea of sort of questioning, what do I really want from my work? What do I really want from my life? All of these things are massive questions that we're all asking. And actually it can be really helpful to get other people's input on that. Um, and so I can really see a world in which people are scrabbling around looking for someone else to help help them find that answer. Again, it's actually something, you know, I was saying right at the top of this episode that whilst I've not done any coaching, um, I have definitely been, I've looked into it, especially, you know, even in the last six months, um, I've looked into all sorts of the different options of who else can I talk to about this problem that I'm having in my life. Um, however, I do wonder where, where, I do wonder whether part of the problem is that if you yourself can't actually really articulate what it is that you're asking, are you always going to be disappointed by the answer? And then of course, if you paid hefty amounts of money for a coach, um, that is just also going to kind of have a whole other layer to it. Um, and that is not to say, just to be really, really clear, that is not to say, I don't doubt that there are charlatans out there. The thing that I have noticed though, is that all coaching is being hard with this same, with this kind of blanket sort of negative brush. Um, and I just, I think it's a lot more nuanced than it is. Um, you know, yes, our episode is called is coaching bullshit and spoiler alert. The answer is it can be, but actually it's a more complicated answer than that. Um, so that's kind of, that's sort of my read on this situation, especially actually having done quite a lot of, having done quite a bit of research into this and seeing that this question, it might feel very current because of the pandemic. It has been asked 
for the last 15 years. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing is that there are three issues people have with coaching. One, that it's not regulated. Two, that it's very expensive and coaches charge a lot of money. And three, there's this sort of Instagram marketing that happens around coaching. And I think all those three things are worth uh, interrogating. Um, On the regulation side, you mentioned the ICF and coaches can get accreditation. You can ask your coach if they've had that. You can ask them how many hours they've done. But also when you actually know what coaching is, you're a bit more comfortable with the lack of regulation. And I say that because a lot of people presume coaching is like therapy. And yes, you do have a lot of responsibility as a coach on the one hand to not coach anyone with serious mental health issues, not to be like therapy. So not to look backwards. Coaching is all about moving forward. Each session is you have one problem, you talk about that problem and then you end with accountability um, and an action that comes from the client so when you kind of know what coaching is to me it's a little bit less controversial than the fears that exist but maybe that's maybe that's me bringing my own um, like having had training and having known how to avoid people who might not need coaching but need a therapist but it is what coaching actually is and how it exists I think is a bit different from the perception of what it is. Um, The money side's an interesting one because I actually think it's about a much broader perception of value and what things cost and what pricing should be. Um, And I know me and you have discussed this in all sorts of contexts in the past. And it's interesting that the coach, how coaching costs, uh, I mean, what, what makes something expensive, right? Like what, how much, how much does it need to be to be defined as expensive? But that is currently the perception. I think that is, that really hits on something that I think is really, really key and important here because essentially what is the value of coaching? And to me, that answer is actually incredibly subjective. Um, because, and this is something that I have really thought a lot about and I have kind of gone on my own journey with ever since I, started working for myself, but how I make money and how I earn money has really, really shifted ever since I've started having to quite literally make it on my own. And value plays a really, really key part in that. Um, And it is, it's taken me a really long time to wrap my head around the fact that value is subjective and that it is dependent on time, perspective and context. And so what is valuable to me might not be valuable to you, but that does not mean that, um, that doesn't mean that something is not valuable. Um, and I think this kind of, you know, this basic essentially boils down to, um, well, a couple of things, <laughs> boils down to a couple of things. What, what a really stupid thing to say. Um, this, this is partly to do with the issue that something that I just mentioned, which is what do people actually hope to get out of coaching? What will make it valuable to them? And therefore, how much money are they are they happy and willing to pay for it? But then also part of that is, I don't know, almost see coaching is kind of, it's not, it's not, you know, where, where do we put coaching in sort of on the spectrum of creative work? Like, is it, you know, because something that I really struggle with as someone who works in the creative industries is getting paid for my work and, you know, creativity, I'm really sorry, but it is just not valued properly. Um, and when you kind of scratch beneath the surface of any creative freelancer's problems, it always comes down to money because no one wants to pay for the actual creative work itself. And you have to sort of make your money in, in kind of like a commercial endeavor instead. Um, and I think that might, that's kind of something that's going on here as well. Um, but I think, this, this value issue is a real part of it. Um, and it's just really interesting when you kind of talk, hear people talking about, um, about what, you know, what makes something worth spending money on. Um, like a really small mindset shift I've tried to do is get away from saying something is too expensive and instead saying that is out of my budget. Um, because what is, what is expensive? Um, anyway, off my horse. No, I've definitely been shamed about coaching prices and things like that. And I think it's interesting you bring up the creative industries because as someone who's in both the creative industry and the coaching industry, one of the reasons that coaching makes loads of money and the creative industry doesn't is because coaching 
everyone in the coaching industry values that and charges that together. Whereas most people in the creative industry have beliefs around money that they shouldn't be making it and that to be a proper creative, you need to be struggling and they may be conscious, they may be subconscious and they're judging people in the places like the coaching industry. Whereas the coaching industry has always almost had like a cartel and think of that what you will, but bringing that back to value I would argue that the creative work I do in many ways offers much more impact and value than and at a more mass scale than the coaching work I do. But because of the way the industries are set up, I make more money coaching. And by all means, you can have judgment around the pricing of coaching. But the fact is for people who can afford it or people who do have the money, the value to them and the reality is the more people pay for coaching, the higher my clients have paid because obviously my pricing has changed over time. The more invested they are, the more value they get out of it. So it actually can help you if it is something that you're significantly invested in because it does need you. And this is a, this is a point we'll come back to. You actually have to do a lot of the work. It's not a shortcut to not do the work. Um, there was a Guardian article by Sophie Hayward where she went to like the top life coaches to see if they could help her with her um, issues around like time management and deadlines and things like that and getting her book written. And it's actually a really great article because I always um, start an article like that, presuming that they're going to say, oh, it's bullshit. You know, like when a journalist like tries something once and it's like, oh, that's bullshit. Like, but actually she talked really accurately about the value that she got from it and the impact that it had on her. Um, but I went to look up how much the coach that she went to cost. And it was something like 20,000 pounds for three months engagement. Now to me and you, that's a lot of money. But if this guy's coaching people who were earning a million pounds a year, that's not a lot of money. And again, like the point I'm making here, and it's the point you were making before, like, again, if someone was to buy Aesop hand wash, at 25 pounds and put it in their bathroom when you can buy one pound hand wash at Boots, um, you might be the person that buys the one hand pound wash and be like, I'll never be the person that buys the Aesop hand wash. But who am I to judge how much percentage someone spends of their income on hand wash versus coaching? So I think a lot of our judgment around how people spend money and what the value is can be really skewed by our own experiences and what we value. And I think that's where a lot of the agro towards coaching comes from is that question around money if you enjoy this podcast you may also enjoy the writers co-op hosted by Wu Dan Yan and Jenny Gritters the writers co-op focuses on what it's like to run a freelance business of your own and writers Rudan and Jenny are candid about talking about freelance pay, contracts, saying no to work, and more. This season, every episode features a live coaching session with freelancers. The goal is to dig into issues like imposter syndrome, developing confidence, choosing between freelancing and a full-time job, money mindsets, finding balance in work and life, and so much more. You can listen anywhere you find your podcasts. I think also something that is related to this is um, how it's not just how we spend money, it's also how we earn money because there is a, there was, there's a parallel conversation happening um, in the sort of journalism world around freelance journalists teaching other freelancers through courses and webinars and other resources. And again, lay my cards on the table. I am, I am, I am a freelance journalist who has charged paid for, um, online events. And, you know, I have essentially charged other freelancers for, um, for resources and kind of educational tools. And, um, the kind of discourse at the moment around all of this is that this is unethical, it's exploitative, it's creating more elitism in the industry. Um, and that actually the solution should be that this information should always should be free and that there is already information out there for free and that, um, you know, just ask other, just ask other journalists for their time and they should give it to you for free. Um, 
I have a lot of mixed feelings about that as a narrative because it's really important to think about do you earn your money based on input or output? As a salaried employee, you earn your money on input. You are paid. It doesn't matter, you know, fine, let's put aside people who work on commission or whatever. Um, but you are paid for turning up to your job and what you do over the period of a month, whether you meet your deadlines, whether you kind of like push a project forward, by and large, it just, it doesn't impact how much money you get paid that month. Um, sure. If you keep consistently missing de your deadlines, of course, you're going to get in trouble, but ultimately you are paid to turn up and to do the work. Um, but you're not, your pay is not tied to whether or not you've done your work as a freelancer, especially as a freelance journalist, I am entirely paid on output. If I miss my deadline and, um, I send my copy in late and the piece then runs late, my payment is late. It, I'm at, my income is directly, my income is directly tied to my output. And so therefore time that I'm not working is time that I am not earning money. My inbox is full of people asking me for, um, for my time, whether that is a company asking me to um, essentially consult on their project, whether that is a student journalist asking me for a career advice, whether that's someone asking me to interview me for my book. Um, there are so, the majority of the messages that come into my inbox are for my time and they, and nine times out of 10, they are not compensated. Some of those um, offer requests that shouldn't be compensated. Like, of course, I'm not going to charge a freelance, um, you know, a student journalist for career advice. However, I simply cannot answer all of those questions. And I think that a big part of this is that people just don't realize the realities of earning money in different ways. And I do have to, I, I have to have boundaries around what work I can do um, for free and what work I can't. And so this kind of idea that stuff should just be free, um, is, is just, but unfortunately that's just not, that's just, that's not sustainable and that's not viable. Um, so that's kind of like where I come to this. And I think that is because something I just keep seeing, I think a lot of this really boils down to work shame that we shame people who do jobs or who earn their, who, for how they earn their money. Uh, and, and I don't think that's, I don't, and I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's really, I think the reasons why it happens are really, really complex, but ultimately I think that's what this is coming down to when someone is kind of saying, oh, you know, all coaching is, um, is nonsense or all coaching is bullshit. Um, that's someone who, that's how they earn their money and you're shaming them for that. Yeah. And it's that thing as well, where it's like, oh, I could do that. That's easy. But the reality is actually, if you're a coach, um, you actually hold, it's actually very draining and you hold a lot of, it's actually like the experience of being a coach is actually a lot of work that happens outside of that, like one hour session. And a lot of people don't really realize that. And, but I think the thing about courses and I, I teach some life writing courses and sometimes I bring some of my coaching into that. And so for say coming to a class for like 15, 20 pounds, whatever you can get some of the benefits of if you were to hire someone at a coaching level. So it's a way of doing things a bit more at a mass level, but there's something about courses where there's a lot of anger. Cause I think people are like, oh, well I could just teach that. But I think there's something a little bit, well, A, you're not, and B, and B um, as you say, like it's not fair to presume people should give away stuff for free when they already do do a lot of work for free. Like you and I both do a lot of work for free already, including this right now that we're talking to you over your ears. And the third thing about it as well is I think there's something a little bit patronizing about the consumer because they are choosing to spend, so say it's whatever, hundred pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, whatever it might be for a course, but they believe that it's a value to them what they're going to learn on that course. Now I know about like social media courses that cost quite a lot. I don't particularly want to do that. And that's not X amount of value to me as my business. I might spend that X amount of money doing something else of value to my business, like hiring a designer for my website, whatever it might be. But I think there's something a bit um, patronizing to the consumer as an outsider to say, oh, well, that's too expensive. Well, it's not, I've, I've made a conscious choice 
And I've decided what's of value and what's important to me. And I've made that decision. And I just find it quite patronizing when there's this tone of like, you're being ripped off, you're an idiot, like you're being scammed. And of course there are some people who um, maybe aren't good enough to deliver these things, but then they deliver them and their customers can tell people or not come back. And that's kind of just how business works. Well, I mean, that I think also really hits on something that has been really kind of a pet peeve of mine at the moment is that there's this, there are all of these buzzwords that are flying around. Let's be real. They're flying around Twitter of, you know, exploiting, unethical, um, scam, all of these, you know, everything's a scam at the moment. Um, I think that I, I actually do blame Twitter specifically of all of the social media platforms for the complete lack of nuance in any of these conversations, because it's this kind of like Twitterization of discourse where uh, quite literally because of the word count, um, comments are being shortened to kind of, uh, and sort of using buzzwords and inflammatory terms because they sort of sound like they kind of fit um, but they're not quite accurate really. And it just kind of, you know, triggers that sort of, oh yeah, that sounds really smart and that sounds really bad. So I'm just going to kind of, I'm, you know, I'm going to retweet that and like it. Um, when actually it just completely strips all of the nuance out of the conversation, because actually even a topic like coaching, there's actually, there's loads to talk about. I mean, we've been blabbering for 40 minutes and to be honest, I don't think we've, you know, I think there's a lot more to say, and this kind of idea that everything is a scam, it just, um, it, I do find it really frustrating because, um, yes, sure, there are lots of scams out there. Um, but holding up a couple of examples of bad coaching and using that as the kind of thesis for why the entire coaching industry is a scam is just is not right because it is also a it's playing with people's livelihoods b it completely lacks all nuance and and c i think there's kind of a great irony in the fact that one of the um one of the main criticisms that's leveled by journalists and i say this as a journalist um as someone who's incredibly critical of my own industry um at coaching is how it is unregulated well journalism, as in to call yourself a journalist is also completely unregulated. Anyone can stick journalist in their bio and start calling themselves a journalist. Um, yes, of course there are, you know, there's press standards and the publications are held to account, but there's also a lot of stuff that gets published that it is, it's, it's not, it's, it's not always the most deeply reported piece of work. So again, I think this kind of comes from the work shame place of, you know, how other people, I don't like how someone else earns their money. Um, and so I'm going to kind of call them out on it. Um, when actually there's just so much more nuance to it. Yeah. It's like, hi, I'm looking for a case study to prove my theory that coaching is bullshit. Um, and then speak to some people who, um, like actively find people who've had bad experiences rather than I want to investigate coaching. I want to find a range of case studies. Um, I want to ask hard questions on both those sides. Um, and those articles are really frustrating to read. And it's also really frustrating when you see journalists who are actively looking for case studies to fall into their hypotheses. And it's really common because of pressure of time and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's also just not being a good journalism, a journalist based on what journalism is exists to do. Um, but again, like what I will say is coming back to the kind of three main criticisms around coaching. The third one, which is about this kind of Instagram coach and the role of marketing and coach. That's something I'm actually very interested in to dismantle because I think everyone's quite preoccupied with this regulation point or this money point, but I actually think the most interesting point is the one around Instagram and marketing. And as a coach, uh, who's if you're operating on the consumer market and arguably on the B2B market, actually, you can charge the most or promise the most if you have the best marketing and a huge amount of um, marketing happens around coaching on Instagram. And the problem with that from my perspective is that coaches are selling a lifestyle and they're selling a promise that if you come to me, you can live like me. Um, and 
that's the chat that and they're kind of there's that lure of like selling something easy and it's that self-help book problem of like the seven seven habits of highly affected people or crack these four things and I'm not I mean I do marketing um and it's kind of been my career throughout my uh throughout my career life so I'm not anti-marketing but I think there's a legitimate tension with regards to the coaching world with how coaching is sold and how it kind of arguably maybe needs to be solved, but what impact that has on people with regards to the expectations they come to coaching with. And I think that is a true tension and I think it is one worth exploring. I mean, I think that really, and you know, again, this is the point of having this conversation. It is so nuanced because fundamentally I I think it's even more for me, I will go so far as say it's it 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 goes beyond just attention for me that presenting a lifestyle the, the the concept of selling a lifestyle is to me really, really problematic because and I say this, I am I'm just finishing reading Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, which for anyone who hasn't read it, it takes a completely sort of it turns the concept of success on its head and it really explores what actually makes successful people. And it's really a manifesto for how success is based on such arbitrary circumstances and who you are, who your parents are, what your context is, what your environment is, even stuff kind of as completely out of your control as what year you were born in and where in the world you were born. All of these things play massive roles in whether or not someone is successful. I mean, there's a whole other, there's a whole other book to be written about what does it even mean to be successful? But in this, um, in this context, it's, you know, it's, it's our conventional definitions of success in terms of money and, you know, power and prestige and all that kind of stuff. Um, and anyway, and so therefore this idea that if I am successful and I put my life on Instagram and I show how successful I am, and then I sell this kind of blueprint of how I got there, be it through coaching, be it through courses, be it through whatever, um, you can follow all of those. You can follow the formula and the recipe I've given you, but it might not, it might just not work for you based on things that are totally out of your control. And what's been really interesting for me reading the Malcolm Gladwell book is that to be honest, my biggest takeaway from it is it's actually really bummed me out because it dismantles the hard work narrative completely, but it kind of makes me think, you know, there's some, there are, because it's sort of a retrospective look at successful people, it's kind of like, we don't even know some, there are some forces of course we can tell that are acting against us, but there are some that you don't even kind of realize. Um, and so, and then on the, at the other hand, you know, on the other, on the other side of things, kind of going back to this sort of using Instagram as a marketing tool, the other reality is that, and I say this as a creative entrepreneur myself, is that it is really hard, almost, I would say impossible to do, to do work and to complete, you can't ignore the internet. You can't, you can't, you kind of have to be on these platforms. Um, I have a real love hate relationship with Instagram because I, with all of the platforms, to be honest with Twitter as well, that I, I really don't like them, but I feel like I sort of need to be on them to promote my work. Um, and you know, to make a, livelihood. So it's just, it's, it's really difficult. And, um, it's, it's not a great place that we've been in because the reality is also, again, to look at the other side of this is people respond. That's how people respond. People want to see people, people respond to this kind of being sold a lifestyle. So it's, it's very messy. Yeah. And the important thing to remember, and I actually say this to people quite a lot, is like, even if you hire a coach, you still have to do the work and, there are no shortcuts. There are no um, kind of short-term results that you'll get. Like anything worth doing takes a lot of time and you have to be prepared to do the work. And I think where the tension lies that I think that you've just mentioned there as well is like, if someone's making most of their money by telling you how they make their money, um, then 
then you you have to just have your eyes open about that um but at the same time like it is kind of a natural progression if you are someone who is ambitious and want to grow your business so if i take coaching for example um a lot of people coach coaches or like have training programs for coaches and you could look at that two ways you could look at that cynically or you could be like oh, that makes sense. There's a demand for it. That's a market. That's you wanting to grow and do the level up and charge more and blah, blah, blah. So you can look at that in two different ways. And I think the best thing to do if you are a consumer and you are considering coaches or courses is just make sure you're aware of what you're going to get from that person and what they're doing and how it fits into their work. Because by all means, someone who makes most their money teaching the thing actually still can teach me the thing and I can learn a lot about the thing. Like doesn't mean that I can't learn from them, but at the same time to expect to have their lifestyle by doing no work and just to throw money at the problem is not going to get me the results I want. So I think it's the nuance there. I think it's interesting you brought up the coaches who teach coaches because one thing I'd like to quickly touch on is a criticism that is levied both at coaching and at courses, which is this idea of a career of a pyramid scheme, of some sort of career pyramid scheme, that the people at the top are actually making all their money from teaching or coaching, um, and therefore this is a pyramid scheme. Um, what is your what are your thoughts on that? pyramid scheme is one of those terms that's sort of thrown around and like the actual definition of a pyramid scheme is when there is the absence of any product or service and I obviously believe that coaching is a service and it offers a huge value and I think if you were to call coaching a pyramid scheme you might as well call consulting a pyramid scheme um, or other such things that um, offer a product or service whether that's an advertisement or if you're McKinsey so I think the concept of coaching being a pyramid scheme is um, I mean it sounds super you know but I don't think it's right to do that. I think, as I said, you know, like you can look at it with a cynical lens and you can say, oh, the coach is teaching coaches. And then there's this whole trickle down. Or you can be like, oh, someone's been a coach for 10, 15 years. And the next step for them, and there's a huge pool of people who want to become better coaches. So the next step for them is to teach coaches coaching. That's a really beautiful thing. They want to increase their impact instead of working directly with people. They want to direct work with the people who work with the people. So it it just depends what lens you look at it with. I think it's so interesting because, you know, it's this reminds me of the episode of Friends where Monica cleans her vacuum with a smaller vacuum. Um, and then she says, I wish there was an even smaller one to clean this one with. Um, it's not a pyramid scheme. It's just a chain. Someone has to teach the teachers. Someone has to give therapy to the therapist. Someone has to, uh, but for whatever reason in the, in the creative space, in the coaching world, in the courses world, it is su- suddenly becomes a pyramid scheme. Um, and I just think it's, I just think that's kind of, it's just really interesting. And again, I think, I mean, this is just, this is the record I'm going to break throughout this episode. It's coming down to work shame and how we shame other people for how they earn their money. Um, I was just going to say, and I know this isn't debate club, but like on the one hand, you shame us for like not having regulation and not having training. And then on the other hand, you shame the people who have businesses with regards to being coaching supervisors, coaching mentors, teaching us coaching. Do you know what I mean? Like, So I think we've had, we've really gone deep on the world of coaching. Um, I think a really good note for us to end on is for anyone who's now listened to this and actually is really interested in coaching, what are some things that people should be looking for when, if they if they want to explore coaching as an option, what are things that people should be looking for? I would say um, if you're interested in coaching, the main thing you need to do actually before you even start looking for a coach is identify the problem that you're trying to solve and also be prepared to know that it's going to take a lot of work even if you hire a coach to solve that problem but being able to articulate the problem is really important can a coach help you articulate the problem maybe but i think the more specific problem and the more you can articulate it the better your search for a coach will be um often feeling stuck is something helpful or um having a clear goal, maybe like wanting to progress at work or knowing what your next step is, knowing who you are at work. Um, So definitely do the work first. Um, I would also recommend 
um, speaking to a few different coaches and doing some of that research we said like where find out where they've trained um and all that sort of stuff but it's um it's definitely like a chemistry and gut-led thing and do be wary of this marketing lifestyle do be wary of anyone who's quite salesy or can feel quite pressurizing to you um I once spoke to someone as a coach who said I don't want you to decide for 48 hours because you get quite high after a coaching session and I want you to think about it in um in a, in a more kind of neutral state. So just look out for things, um, things that might put you under pressure and make you sort of convert from a sales perspective. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is that enough? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, and I think, and I, I, I think, um, you know, I, what I will share with someone on the other side of this, who right now is also essentially kind of sort of reaching around for help with my own work problems, speak to people in your orbit that you trust first and just really get clear on what it is on what the problem is that you are trying to solve. I do think that is the most important part of all of this. Um, and do whatever you need to do to figure out what that problem is, because you might actually, you know, you, you don't know what that problem is until you've identified it. And once you've identified the problem, then you'll be able to find the person best place to help you solve it. That might be a coach. It might be a therapist. It might be an accountant. It might, you know, it, it, who knows who that person is, but you have to know, you have to be asked, if you want the right answers, you have to ask the right questions. The final thing actually I would like to say is, um, to only do coaching if you can afford it. So do not get yourself into debt and do not feel pressurized as an investment. I think the guaranteed outcomes, it's just too high a risk. So it has to be something that um, you can you can afford. And with all that, I think this was a great conversation. Tiffany, do you still... Do you, do you still feel nervous? How do you feel now? I just feel like we haven't scratched the surface about what coaching actually is and the value it can bring and um I have so many more stories and inspirational quotes that I was hoping I'd get to share but maybe we'll, we'll come back for a part two yeah we'll I think there's time. there's a part two also to be said about courses as well so um if you liked this episode and you liked what we talked about um do let us know either by leaving us a review on apple podcasts or tweeting us um we're at is this underscore working um on twitter and just let us know and we will make more we'll do more deep dives into the weird worlds of work and how it affects our culture and well-being thanks for listening bye You are listening to Is This Working? Hosted by Anna Cogerado and Tiffany Filippou. Produced by Chris Bannister. Please like and subscribe and you can find us in all of your favourite podcasting apps. And also just a quick note before we go to let you know that we are now giving talks at companies. So if you would like to hear us live at your workplace, email us at isthisworkingshow at gmail.com and we will send you something that you can pass along to your head of people or HR department. Thanks very much.